Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back and mediocre as per usual. Tom and Keith, how are you, KJ? I am wonderful. I am wonderful. Thanks for asking. Folks that are regular listeners know that uh, at times we've expressed that Keith and I, the way our schedules work out, a lot of weeks we don't really converse very much. We sit down here, we do a show, and uh, then we go on our way till the next week. Then you have ACC kickoff week where Keith and I get in a vehicle and proceed to Charlotte and spend eight hours of quality time together one week. One way and eight hours quality time back, back the other way. way. Yeah, so. and, and do we not hit the culinary heights? Uh, we did hit the. Are you going to give a sponsor plug here? I'm just saying there was a small town in Georgia late on a Friday night and I had a chili cheese dog. <laughs> and we followed it up with uh, a, a appropriate amount of ice cream. Exactly. Uh, the highlight of the trip back was on the, and we will actually talk sports in a moment. We were stopped at a light in some small town in Georgia, and the name escapes me right now. But Swainsboro it's, or something. It's Yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't Statesboro. It was Swainsboro. Swainsboro. Hometown of Hall of Fame punter Ray Guy, Ray Guy. I later found out. We're stopped at a light, and Keith says, we're at the intersection of Maine and Maine. <laughs> and so sure enough, I look up, and Main Street is the, going northwest or go north, north and south. It was north and south Main Street. And then I looked at the other street sign, and it was East, East and, and West. West Main Street. And I thought, I've never been at Maine and Maine before. I've officially arrived. But you you texted somebody who immediately knew exactly where we were. Yeah. Well, he did. He said, that's, Ray, that's how I know. That was okay. Ray Guy's yep, hometown. Yep, yep. To which I cracked the joke, when you get to Maine and Maine, punt. All right, let's talk about ACC kickoff stuff now. It was a uh, a very good week for, for the ACC, even though word leaked about the ACC network. Still a great meeting. And now this is sort of, sort of old news, and I realize it's three years away. You can see, just, just follow the national media, all the skeptics, and quite frankly, when we say skeptics and naysayers, these were people who would have adamantly bet their house that there would never be an ACC network, have now come around and said, Wow, it's actually going to happen. And, and I mean, even Mike Bianchi's writing an article today that if Notre Dame were to join the ACC, the ACC would be equal to the SEC in football. If not better. If not better. Well, I think when you look at I the I may full, put it into words in his mouth, but. If you look at the full conference in that scenario and you talk about the brands of Florida State and Miami and Carolina and Duke and Notre Dame, uh, you know, encompassing basketball and others, I think you could make a very strong case that it is the premier conference in that scenario. Now, Notre Dame hasn't joined the ACC. Tim Brando is one who insists it's going to happen in a few years. Others say we'll Notre Dame we'll will see. never happen, but we don't need to go down that road. Separate all that, the bottom line is it feels like AC, the ACC has made the step forward it needs to to keep up with the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, I remember you and I were sitting there. We got there about 15 minutes early, make sure we get a good seat. Commissioner's Forum at 10 o'clock, and, and I looked up, and there's Skipper. I didn't expect to see Skipper. He's the president. Is it John or Jack? I it's can't John. John Skipper, president of ESPN. And, of course, just a couple of weeks prior to that, depending on who you talk to, the number two or number three guy at ESPN had agreed to become the athletic director at Syracuse. And all of a sudden, the ACC is positioned a, a lot differently than maybe one of, would have thought previously. Yeah, now some will say we still have to see the network come to fruition. It will. I mean, ESPN signed it. They're going to be on the hook to pay the ACC whether they get it distributed or not. So guess what? They're going to get it distributed so they can recoup some money. And how about something we learned after the fact? We don't have numbers on it, but but the actual rights fee also gets adjusted in the in that three year window immediately. Immediately. Well, and you and I, huh. we suggested that was going to happen. I mean, there was rumored reports, unsubstantiated or never confirmed, that the league was going to get forty five million from Essman if there wasn't a network. Announcing a network in three years doesn't mean that the ACC just turned down forty five million for the three subsequent years. Yeah, to me, they're getting at least that in a, in a bump, and it's probably incremental and will ramp up for the next two years until you get the network. But, again, that's all speculation. Bottom line, it was a good week, good time in Charlotte. 
The all-conference picks are out, released earlier today. Some minor surprises, a little, maybe. Minor surprises, uh, and and we'll discuss that with Tim Linnefeld. We'll also talk about the fact that Clemson was not – it wasn't a surprise that they were picked to win the league. but I was surprised surprised by the margin. By the margin. So we'll get into that. We are just getting warmed up, so uh, stop what you're doing. Freeze. Listen. We're only – it's only – Don't touch that dial. It's only another 55 minutes of your week, and then you can get back to whatever it is you do for the rest of the week. But the front row continues right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to the front row. Plenty to converse about as we continue the conversation. And the wrap-up from ACC kickoff, Tom and Keith back with you, and we welcome to the program our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. There's been all kinds of great content on Seminoles.com. Great video. The great video. Lots to talk about, uh, obviously, even though it's still July. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. We're going to go over uh, a couple of key things here because the ACC predictions have come out, both in terms of team and also uh, the all-conference squad, meaning players, but... Uh, First, I'm going to revel in the fact that, uh, well, actually, I don't think I said it on record, but you guys both said that you thought the vote would be close, Clemson-FSU, which it was not. It was not. However, no. I will also eat crow because we set an over-under at four and a half for a number of players that Florida State would have on the all-conference team. Keith took the over, and and I, Tim, did you take the over or did you side under? I forget where you were. I think I, I, think I said it and abstained otherwise. I think that was my... Well, I'll give you credit for the over. Anyway, yeah, bottom line, five guys first team and, and uh, two or three or four others that are just off the first team. So let's get to the players second. Let's get back to the team vote uh, first and, and, and sort of continue to digest ACC kickoff. So to that point, Tim, how surprised were you at the disparity between Clemson and Florida State when you look at what those picks were? I really was surprised by it, uh, and, and I understand, you know, covering Florida State and being around that program, that probably means that I'm, I'm, I'm not as unbiased as most people would like me to be. But uh, I, I did think it would be close, because to me, I kind of treated it, that decision as almost you have to pick the game in July. Who's going to win that Clemson-Florida State game? And obviously, a lot can happen over the course of the season. FSU schedule is, is difficult, but history tells us that whoever wins that game, Florida State and Clemson, is going to win the division. And I thought, well... It's a little bit later in the season, so Florida State's going to have some time to, to figure out its quarterback's position and whatever else. Uh, and it's at home, where uh, Clemson, believe it or not, has, has not won in Doak Campbell Stadium in, in 10 years. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be close, but I, I think the Florida State's going to win that game, at least as of right now. And as a result, I think that they're going to win the division. Uh, and I thought other people might see it that way, too, and apparently they did not. Well, what we forgot, Tim, is, is what I call the bias uh, within the, the writers in the ACC Almost all the time, there as long as there's a quarterback coming back or reasonable people coming back, they're going to give last year's champion the the nod for the coming year. I think if you set these same people Espe- down, especially if the quarterback returns, right? I think if you set these same people down and you, it's kind of like the polls and the in the telephone uh, polling that they do. It's it's all in how you ask the question. I think if the question was who's going to win the Florida State Clemson game. A, it would have been much closer, and B, Florida State would have come out on top. Your thoughts? Yeah, it could be. And, and you know, I also wonder if if you went down and asked people for a, you know, a 15-second explanation, wonder how many people would say, I give Clemson the nod because of Deshaun Watson and, and all they have coming back. But I, I think it would be a close game, and I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State won. I, I think that there's probably a pretty broad swatch uh, of voters who would, who would say that as well. So when you see the disparity in the voting – it doesn't necessarily mean that the writers or the media think that Clemson is head and shoulders above Florida State. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Well, what you know, you look at the total ballots cast, it was 191. And I didn't get the total number of media who attended, but I know it was by at least 100 the, 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 the best attended ACC kickoff they've, they've held. But going back to that number of 191 folks who voted, Clemson got 144 votes to win the championship and Florida State got 39. So 39 is approximately how many media members were from the state of Florida that cast. I mean, honestly, I mean, Keith, did <laughs> you, right. sorry, is there an echo in here? Did you did you vote FSU first? I did. I did. Tim? 
I did, yeah. I thought, I, I, Tom I Lang on the other it. side of the glass? He right, that's four of the 30-something. So, yeah, that's so. And if we <laughs> if we lined up Corey and Ira and Cameron and even some of the Miami folks. So anyway, you, you vote for what you're familiar with, I think. And, and obviously, there's a lot more media from Tobacco Road. What were your thoughts on the kickoff uh, overall? Being in Charlotte, change of format, better attended, more of a buzz, all that stuff, Tim. Yeah, I really enjoyed it being in Charlotte. Uh, I, I like it there. It's a good city. It was, you know, it's fun being uh, in Pinehurst last year, especially if you're a golf fan, to kind of see that little village. But Charlotte just seems to have, you know, more of a buzz to it. Um, I, I didn't love the format uh, of having everybody on one day, the coaches and players on one day. You know, at one point, I hear in there talking uh, to Demarcus Walker, and I look over, and and he's in there. Dalvin Cook and Jimbo Fisher are all speaking at the same time, and it, so. And then there's plenty of time to get around there and, and make the rounds with either one, but you'd like to think that you have a chance to to spend time with all three of them for an extended amount of time, and, and when they're all there at one time, uh, it's just not really possible. So, uh, but but overall, I thought it was a good uh, good experience, and uh, it, it, it was fun. Like you said, it, it seemed like there was a lot more people there this year, a lot more buzz. Uh, it was fun being in a in a setting where the question wasn't, you know, is this Florida State's year, uh, the year the Florida State gets back, or is this the year that that Clemson emerges, it was kind of double-sided uh, of, you know, Florida State and Clemson are both sort of the, the standard bearers for the league, and it's been a while since you could say the ACC had two programs uh, of that caliber, so it felt like, like a little bit of a different dynamic. I thought the Thursday morning uh, commissioner's meeting uh, was very well done, and, and Tom and I commented to ourselves that, you know, wow, what would the, that have been like if the news had not been leaked earlier that the the network was being launched but let me take you back to something and, and we won't know this till 10 or 15 or 20 years from now but i remember sitting in uh colorado i was skiing and george bush was running for president and he came on cbs news with dan rather and rather set him up for a, a very derogatory introduction and the and the now we're into political stuff and the conference is going, the uh, uh, Democratic and National Republican uh, conventions are going on. I remember sitting there and immediately when Bush came on, he just attacked Dan Rather. And that's basically when he won the election because everybody thought he was a marshmallow. I, I remember the president of ESPN standing up at about 1010 on a Thursday morning doing the Florida State chop tomahawk chop and talking about the acc network and i think 10 15 20 years from now we're going to think of that particular meeting and we were there as being of great significance does that make sense meaning that fsu fans will no longer think espn has a bias against florida state exactly exactly i I think i think that will happen we gave you a lot of leeway there because i wasn't quite sure how the dots were going to connect from you skiing colorado dan rather george bush John Skipper, but we got there. I got there. We, we did. We did. I liked it. Well, we, we are there. And that is big news about the ACC Network, which we'll uh, Keith and I will continue to pontificate about, as we have done uh, at great length over the last several months. Let's talk about the, the all-conference squads, which were announced earlier today, Tim. So last week, we all were in agreement that there were three guys that were obviously going to be on the all-ACC preseason team. And it turns out all three were the top vote-getter at their position. So Dalvin Cook ran away with that as, uh, as the top running back in the league. Uh, Roderick Johnson at the offensive tackle spot. And actually, if you factor guard and center in, he got more votes than any other lineman, period. And then Demarcus Walker. So those are the three we knew were all going to be first team. And Walker, uh, 142 votes. Second place was 102 at the defensive end position. Then we had a, a mixed bag of guys out there. I mentioned Travis Rudolph. Who made it? Who made it? Uh, Marquez White. Who made it easily, third. by the way. Who made, finished third. Marquez did. Marquez did, and Derwin James finished first. Correct. Which is interesting because, uh, like, Phil Steele, for example, didn't have Derwin as his first-team safety, I don't think, based on some other safeties that returned. But general thoughts with five guys on the first team, uh, and and more than that maybe, Tim, what what the voting shows to me when you look at guys that just missed, especially on defense, it, it, it sort of makes the point about what we know around Florida State that it's not just a Demarcus Walker show on the defensive side of the ball. There's an awful, there's more than a few guys that are pretty good on that side of the ball. Absolutely, you know, and, and, you know if you look at uh, go down the the voting totals and see who else uh, received votes. You know, Derek Naughty was just a few votes away from uh, from, from getting recognized at his position. Uh, like you mentioned, Marquez White was really close. Uh, Kermit Whitfield was close as a specialist. And Travis Rudolph, I was sort of surprised that, you know, we all think pretty highly of him and, and expect big things from him this year, but he was pretty comfortably 
the number two receiver in that group, which I thought was a, a pretty nice uh, little development for him. Uh, I want to know who are these people that left Alvin Cook off of their ballot? <laughs> uh, you know, he got he got 184 votes out of 191 total, and you you vote for two running backs. So there are people out there that think there are two running backs in the ACC better than Dalvin Cook. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that one, but I guess that's well, you got to remember Mark Walton got a vote, and Marcus uh, Marshall got a vote, and Brandon Ratcliffe got a vote. I mean, you know, those are high quality guys. Well, Tim, I mean, we just saw Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, who in their right mind didn't put him on the first ballot? I mean, really? And I guess that's kind of what we're dealing with here is is you know people just sort of saying. He's gonna he's he's gonna get his anyway. I'm gonna I, get another guy from Michigan. Well, I guess that's fine. It just seems silly to me. Well, I might suggest that some people had an agenda of thinking Dalvin Cook had some off-field issues in the past, even though he was acquitted, and made it a point to say. And I don't know. They were speculation. Votes of, of protest. Because I I, I think. I can connect the dots quick, more quickly on that than I can that somebody sat down and looked at the running backs in the ACC and thought there were two better currently than Dalvin Cook. I can't even compute that. Yeah, it has to, has to be. But, you know, Deshaun Watson wasn't a unanimous quarterback either. So it's, uh, it's a weird deal when it comes to anonymous voting. Well, but Brad Kaya is projected as a top five NFL pick, too. And I mean, Lamar, Jackson, make, and Lamar make... Jackson is pretty good. Now, how Mitch Trusky, or however you say his name, from North Carolina <laughs> got a vote, who hasn't even – started he's just been a play well he started some games in my mop-up but he's not been the starter how he got a vote i don't know going back to the conference player of the year selection which came out on monday deshaun got 164 votes dalvin was second with 18 uh, keith and i have talked about how we expect that dalvin's touches are going to be down this year even if his yards per carry may be up but you know i don't think it's impossible for him to get to 2,000 yards especially in a season where fsu plays 15 games but overall, I do think that as a quarterback who touches the ball every snap like Deshaun does, that he's got a lot better chance to win that over Dalvin maybe than Clemson does to win the team title over FSU. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so, especially if uh, if he has even – I don't even know if he even has to match what he did last season. Uh, but if he even just comes close, I think he'll, he'll probably be uh, in the front runner for that. Like you said, he, uh, he touches – as much as Dalvin Cook touches the ball, Deshaun Watson touches it. Uh, on every play, and when you factor in that he can throw it and run it as he ran for a thousand yards last year too, um, yeah, and then also you know with the uh, the already with I don't know if a slant is the word, but just you know knowing that he's already a been a Heisman finalist and the Player of the Year, you got to he'll he'll be the front runner in every which way. But that doesn't mean that you know it, it's also like if Dalvin Cook runs two thousand yards this year, which uh, you I agree completely, it's, it's totally possible, and he probably would have got there last year had he stayed healthy. Um, it's hard to imagine a 2,000-yard rusher not winning Player of the Year, uh, and also you know being a Heisman finalist and potentially winning the Heisman. So uh, it's, it's a good problem to have if you're the ACC. Uh, you know it's really exciting, and, and you know, Kimbo Fisher made mention of it several times last week at kickoff. Is you know, think about the star power in this league, Deshaun Watson, Dylan Cook. If, if Brad Kai takes that next step that a lot of people think he's going to take, uh, there's going to be a lot of you know big-time college football players, potentially household names, at least among fans of the sport. Uh, all in the same league. It's, uh, it's actually a pretty impressive time for the ACC. A big thing that Watson's got going for him, and I didn't appreciate the NCAA, the uh, ACC did a very good job of promoting it. I've forgotten about it. Is that he threw for four thousand yards and rushed for a thousand last year? That's never been done in the history of the NCAA. That's a record that you probably got to take your hat off, even if Dalvin goes over two thousand yards rushing. If he replicates that. Uh, he'll be the only player to have done it and done it twice. That, that's going to be tough. Well, and if he does that, then uh, Clemson's probably in position to, to be in the college football playoff again, too, which will certainly help as well. The other point about Dalvin, going back to Dalvin, even if he does get 2,000 yards, he had 19 touchdowns last year. I mean, to me, this is going to be a much more balanced offense. And maybe I'm – I hate to say I'm, maybe I'm selling him short because he could score two touchdowns a game, I realize. But it feels like – potentially a mobile quarterback, tight ends a threat, a big receiver. It feels like those touchdowns will be a little more evenly distributed, i.e. he might rush for 2,000 yards, but if he has 11 touchdowns instead of 19, it looks like he didn't do nearly as much. And again, maybe I'm off. Maybe he gets to a game and he's at 30 at the end of the year. Potentially. You see a scenario where his production maybe goes down a little bit because, like you said, the offense is is more balanced. But I don't know. I think when when you have a player like him, and and Jimbo Fisher obviously knows he has a job uh, I think even if you do get really nice production from the quarterback, uh, I think there's going to be a whole lot. As long as Dalvin is healthy, he, he's going to get the ball early, often late, whatever the case may be. 
uh, they'll find a way to get the ball in his hands just because, uh, you know, he's just he's, he's the best player on any field that he's on at any given time. You know, we haven't talked at all about the Coastal, which is kind of the way it goes in the ACC. <laughs> Everybody talks about FSU and Clemson now. I voted Carolina. Who'd you vote, Keith? Carolina as I, well. Tim? I, I voted Carolina. Yeah, and it, what's interesting, though, and this sort of speaks, you know, people are saying, well, there needs to be more teams than just FSU and Clemson. That's true, but if you look at the Coastal, the fact that six out of seven teams got a first-place vote, you can say nobody's any good, or you can say, no, there's actually six teams that have a chance to win it, one of them being Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech team. And Paul, uh, when asked about closing the gap with FSU and Clemson, uh, pounced on the mic to point out that he's 3-2 and two against FSU and 5-4 and four against Clemson. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Well, hey, you got you to take what you can get, I guess. Any other takeaways, uh, good, bad, indifferent, to use a phrase that my partner has coined here from uh, the ACC kickoff? You know, just to mention, uh, I, I know we don't talk too much about the Coastal Division, but uh, I, I'm curious really to see what North Carolina does this year because I think we you know, we all sort of thought that their season last year really came out of nowhere, and were it not for uh, what turned out to be just a, a really tough, tough loss at South Carolina that, that just got more and more inexplicable with every UNC win and every South Carolina loss, uh, they gave Clemson everything they could handle in that ACC championship game, and you're potentially looking at a, a team that wasn't all that far removed from a playoff uh, spot, which I know is kind of hard to believe, but if you go back and look at their season, it's, uh, it's true. Um, obviously, they have a lot to replace. They still have a great running back, and if they were able to put together another 10- or 11-win season on that side of the division, uh, I think that would just be another really good thing for the ACC because we all know with FSU and Clemson on one side, the, the, the Coastal that sort of needs to get up to speed, and, and having a team, any team, but North Carolina looks like the – the, uh, the the most likely candidate right now to, to kind of get up to that level or at least flirt with that level would be a, a really nice development. Well, no question it would be. And to me, Miami, if Miami ever gets back, then the ACC will really get some national attention. But, but heck, they're getting national attention now on the backs of FSU and Clemson and having an ACC network. So for a change, as we talked about going into the ACC kickoff, actual real news and uh, things that the ACC can trot out and be be boastful about for a change, Tim. It was all good. Yeah, it really was, uh, and you know, it's sort of seemed it's such, a, such a positive uh, vibe to it. You know, a lot of times you get the uh, the national folks there, and, and they kind of want to. I don't even think they necessarily mean to do it, but there's always questions about the the SEC and, and, and becoming SEC caliber and replicating what the SEC has done. Um, and that didn't seem like there was a little bit of that this year, which I guess is natural. But it, overall, it just seemed like. It was, a, it was a positive vibe for the league, which started obviously with the commissioner's forum with the, the ACC network, and then the rest of the, uh, the event really sort of followed suit, uh, more or less. And it's the first time uh, that, that I've been to that event that I can remember that the, that the ACC wasn't having to defend itself uh, so often throughout the entire thing. So that was kind of different and refreshing to see. Now all they got to do is live up to the hype. So the pressure's on, on the other side, right? We've, we've well, heard hey, on the field right. between the lines. At least you control that. That's, uh, that's, you know, that's something. You, you're right. You do have an opportunity. And you look at that first weekend of the season uh, with FSU, Ole Miss, Clemson, Auburn, uh, North Carolina plays. North Carolina plays Georgia, is that right? Yes. That's, that's a big weekend you know, for the ACC. I'm not saying you got to win all three of them. But if you were to say go two and one, now, that would be a, a, you know, a pretty nice thing for, uh, for the ACC to get started. What you don't want is to lose your momentum uh, on the first week of the season. No, no question about it. Tim, great stuff as always. Uh, we will see lots of each other as football season nears. Getting close. All righty. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Plenty more for Keith and I to uh, discuss, and we will do that when we continue on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Welcome back to the front row. Tom and Keith, still plenty to talk about as we continue uh, deliberating about Clemson and Florida State and ACC kickoff. I will remind you that the Florida State Seminoles are undefeated at home in the Madison Social era, and that will be on the line for six home games again this year. They uh, opened at the right time, or perhaps Florida State is having success because Madso is open, but whatever the case, you know the deal. Right in College Town, happy hour nightly from 4 to 7 
Unfortunately, I, I continue to fail to have discussions with Matt Thompson before he calendars things out because I will be out of town this weekend, and they're having Suds and Scoops, which is a beer and ice cream bar crawl Saturday 2 to 6. You said you've never done a bar crawl. Here's another opportunity. Lofty Pursuits is involved. Good time will be had by all. Back to football. Hold whatever that thought is. It's inappropriate, I can tell. FSU and Clemson, uh, the discussion with Tim Linnefeld. Anything else before we – I want to talk more about FSU-Clemson, but anything else ACC kickoff-wise that for for the good of the order we should share with the group? Uh, not kickoff-wise, but again, and it leads us into some other conversations. But, uh, you know, with all the attention that's continued to be mounted towards the FSU-Clemson game, uh, there's a lot of people out there now thinking it might be the game of the year uh, as it relates to college football, and and, and by quite a margin. Uh, a lot of people have October date circled on their calendar. Well, and that's exactly where I was going to go next to have this conversation. You think, you think that's where you're going? I was, and you probably knew that, which is why you set that up. And had I not disclosed this, it would have been a smoother segue than what it currently is. John Solomon from CBS Sports is the national college football writer. He penned an article this week that, uh, to summarize it, said, move over Alabama and LSU. FSU and Clemson is now the premier college football game of the year. So just let that, whether you agree or disagree, the fact that a national college football writer wrote an article that that's the premise, think about that compared to the last few years and the conversations about FSU needs to leave the ACC, they need to join the Big 12, whatever. When is the league going to be relevant? Just let it How silly you. was that, leave the SCC, ACC to go to the Big 12 conversation? Well, now. I was never on that side of the field. Nor was I, but the, that's how silly that conversation yeah, the was. Only, However. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole? No, you want to yeah. talk about this one? Okay, good. Some interesting facts cited in that article well again this is john solomon's work so i'm gonna i'll read portions of it here he defines it he says best game he says it doesn't mean best rivalry doesn't definitively mean the best game in a particular year doesn't necessarily mean the game that gets the best ratings because clemson has a smaller viewership uh, than some of the big brands but really what he defines it as most likely the, the game most likely to have huge national implications each year because Clemson and Florida State, let's see, uh, only three schools have finished in the AP's top 15 over the last four years. Alabama, FSU, and Clemson. And so if FSU and Clemson both finish in the top 15 against this year, that'll be five straight years, which is more than what LSU and Alabama did in terms of consecutive years in the during top 15. Their during, during their heyday. Now, he's just looking at the last few years. I'm sure if we went back and looked at the 90s and tallied up FSU and Miami, well, we know FSU was in the top five every year for 14, 14 straight years. I'm pretty sure Miami was in there for a good number, too. So we're not saying all time, but we're saying sort of in the SEC era of college football here in the 2000s, if you will. Uh, another thing, and he doesn't write about this, but shifted the pendulum a little bit, is that even though the SEC is winning national championships, it's become Alabama. It hasn't been passed around the league to everybody else. It sort of feels like Alabama has separated itself. But anyway, what else does he go on to talk about? Uh, a few other things here. How about this one? This is last five years. Draft picks. Clemson and FSU, 62 draft picks combined, 12 first-rounders. Alabama, LSU, 71 draft picks, 16 first-rounders. So, I mean, if you, you project another year or two forward, that may level even more. But that's that's really, really good company that FSU and Clemson is. I, you can read the article. I'll spare you some of the rest of this here. But... Uh, again, the fact that that's part of the conversation leads to an even bigger question, Keith, which is, given that, and I know the answer is yes, they could, but how realistic is it that both could make the playoff? I, I, very realistic from this standpoint, and I think the ACC needs to be commended as well. What we've come to understand, at least through two years of the playoff system, is if you're going to lose, you got to lose early. So both Clemson and Florida State have got some pretty – uh, tall uh, hills to climb in their first game. Then they go through some other things. Florida State's at Louisville there because there's a, that could stumble. But they're playing in the basically the fifth game of the year, less than halfway through. If that game is close and Florida State wins at home and uh, Watson continues to perform well, Williams coming back becomes a great uh, target for him. Uh, Clemson defense continues to play well. And you, you, both teams run the rest of the table. Florida State beats Miami, beats my, uh, Florida. Clemson wins their games. You got Florida State playing in the championship game, most likely against North Carolina. If, if, if Florida State were to blitz North Carolina in that conference game and people reflect back and then game five, Florida State-Clemson was tight 
And the Seminoles are sitting there. It's 13th. not game five, Florida State Clemson. October 5th. I'm sorry. October 29th. Well, it's still game five, isn't it? No. What game is it? Like eight. You want us to pull then, up this then, then erase everything I just said. My premise is gone. But <laughs> if if that's a tight game and if they both run the table, you've got Florida State as conference champion at what, 13-0? and 0? Right. And you've got Clemson at 11-1 and 1, having barely lost to the conference champion. That makes for a compelling argument, I, particularly, particularly if you end up with a Southeastern Conference champion that that has two losses and their runner-up has three. Right. I mean, you, yeah, if you look at it in a vacuum, you make it's easier to make the case for them. Obviously, it depends on what happens in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the Big 10. I mean, those conference champs would have to be two lost teams. But I do think you can paint a picture either scenario. Clemson unbeaten as ACC champ with a narrow win over FSU team that dominated everybody else or vice versa. Uh, but, the, uh, you know, how about the scenario where you have Alabama, LSU, FSU, Clemson? What would the rest of the leagues do then? That would be that would be one for the ages, would it not? It would be. I, I don't think that it's going to happen. It hasn't happened so far, but but it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could. And uh, that October 29th date uh, just looms and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And forget I said fifth game or fifth gig. How about this? You lost me on that. I thought you were talking about Clemson and Louisville for some I, reason. Um, I wasn't listening to that. I'm still in of the Charlotte. I'm still driving. By. I'm still in Swainsboro. You're stuck at Maine and Maine. I know. Maine and Maine. Where do I go? What direction? Where do I go? <laughs> How about this component of it too? We've been talking all the time about Notre Dame remaining independent and that thing. And we and we've said on our show relative to money, money is not going to compel Notre Dame to join the ACC. What will compel Notre Dame to become a full league member is when they get handicapped or shut out of the playoff. Well, more and more we hear about the committee talking about they're going to value conference champions. Well, if they value conference champions and Notre Dame can't even play in the championship game, that could potentially be the thing that Notre Dame goes, you know, we got to pull the plug. we got to make this change. Well, if you're pulling for Notre Dame to be all in, which – from a financial standpoint, if you're an FSU fan, you should be pulling for whether you like Notre Dame or not. Uh, yeah, the best case scenario is for Notre Dame to be fifth for about three years in a row right now and just miss the college football playoff. Exactly. And even separate all the financial implications, there's a lot of people that are non-Notre Damers that would be happy to see that scenario because they get tired of hearing about Notre Dame. The other point, Tim Brando, uh, we're, we'll have to have Tim on the show at some point because he has been beating the drum that Notre Dame is going to join in the face of a lot of people saying you're crazy. Uh, he also said the ACC network would be here in three years, and he said that in April or May. So he sort of knew what was going on. Uh, he's projecting Notre Dame to be in around 2019. He's not guarantee it when the network launches, but he thinks it's going to happen. He pointed out that conference championships are a big deal too, and this is from his conversations with Brian Kelly. Uh, and obviously Notre Dame can win conference championships in their other sports, but they can't do it in football. And so when you go a lot of years and a lot more years and even more years than that, and you haven't won a championship of any sort, which for Notre Dame would date back to the, what, 1988, I guess, in terms of a national A champion. long time ago. So that, that matters too. So it would be interesting to see how that plays out. But for now, we were talking about FSU Clemson, and now once again we're talking about Notre Dame. I hate when that happens. FSU Clemson, if you look at it, is it correct that Clemson, since FSU joined the ACC, has only won once in Tallahassee? Did, I know, I I know it's that? been about 10 years since they I think won. they won in 2006. Uh, maybe it was eight. But there was in the 90s, first of all, Florida State boat raced Clemson a well, lot. Well, there was, a, there was like a 62-3 to three game against Clemson at one point, was there not? Yeah, I mean, well, they blanked him in 93. And then the schedule, they used to play him – here, it, it, the schedule changed at some point in terms of when you were in Clemson, when you were here. Yeah, so it only once. Was it 06 or 08? 06. So it's been 10 years. So if you think back, the 10 game was the game that Hopkins uh, won at the wire. Which, by the way, is still the greatest place kick I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's it. You were... I was behind that goalpost, and that, that kick was good. You, by were, behind, you were behind the goalpost. I was on the ninth floor. And when he hit that ball, it sounded like Janikowski had hit a ball because Seabass just had a, a, such power. And that ball took off like an F-14. I mean, I thought, I thought he had kicked it too high and would not have enough distance. And that thing just exploded out of there. And as you mentioned, it would have been good from 61 or 62 without question. Here's a, a point I want to make real quick about this FSU-Clemson series. So I guess Jimbo is 4-2 and two against Clemson. 
But if you think back to the games, the way it has worked out, so 2010, they won. FSU played with its backup quarterback because Ponder was hurt and EJ played. 2011, FSU lost a close game at Death Valley and played with the backup quarterback because EJ was hurt and Trickett played. 2012, FSU had its starter, and they scored 49 points on Clemson here. 2013, and that was EJ, when everybody, EJ had the 300 yards passing, 200 yards rushing. 2013, FSU had its starter, and Jameis Winston in Florida State whipped up on Clemson. Okay, 2014, FSU had its backup because McGuire played, and Florida State still won. And 2015, you could debate the nuances, but basically FSU had the backup because Everett Golson was still the starter. So I'm making the point that when you look at this game, when Jimbo has had his starting quarterback healthy against Clemson, and I know that Clemson's defense has got better with Brett Venables, they haven't struggled to move the ball and score they points. They have scored points. That's that's a very fair assessment. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's going to be it because everybody, there's this Clemson's offense is going to be tremendous. But it's not like Clemson's going to score 80 points against FSU and Florida State's going to score 14. I mean, Florida State's offense has a chance to be pretty good this year. Very much so. All right. Very much so. We have till now and October 29th. And let's see. Not October 5th and not the Talk. fifth game of the season, despite what Jones would try to tell you otherwise. 100-51 to 51 is the combined score FSU versus Clemson in the Jimbo era with the FSU starting quarterback in the game. 100-51. Hmm. to 51. Interesting. So there you go. As I was starting to say, and we'll, we'll go to break, uh, we have until October 29th to continue to break down the FSU-Clemson game. And I'm Eighth sure, game of the year. And I'm sure that we will do that on a regular basis. All right, we're going to come back and talk about the fact that FSU likes getting paid when we continue on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, Tom and Keith with you. I, I, I thought about this in the break, Keith. Uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't know when the FSU Clemson game is either. He admitted as such at, at media days last week. So you're in very good company. On, on Whether it's the fifth game, the eighth game, he doesn't know either. And Jimbo appreciates that you are taking it one game at a time because that's the way the process works. I'm trying. Focus on Ole Miss and Orlando. Speaking of Ole Miss and Orlando, more broadly speaking of neutral site games, FSU playing Orlando, played in Dallas a couple years ago, plays Bama and Atlanta next year. Rumored to have a game on the horizon in either 18 or 19 in Jacksonville to open the season. And now a story breaks out of the Charleston Gazette Mail yesterday that FSU and West Virginia are very close to opening the 2020 season in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta. Which would be the same game that you play next year in 2017 against Alabama. It'd just be three years after the fact, right? And, and FSU is getting $5 million to play Alabama next year. Uh, I saw a report, I dug it up from the Palm Beach Post, that in an average year... And in both cases here, I don't know if we're talking gross or net, but that FSU in terms of revenue brings in 2.2 mil per home game in an average year. When I say average year, that wouldn't have counted 2014 when you had Notre Dame here coming off a national title. Uh, so I don't know. Do you know, does that, would that include expenses or no? I would think that is net. I would not think that is gross, but that's just my personal opinion. Either way. But if you do the math on that compared to the Ole Miss game, three and a half mil, now you got to have some travel come out of that. Alabama, five mil project forward with inflation and, and all that. I mean, six, 2020 six and a half, seven. to play West wow. Virginia. So I know people, uh, you know, West Virginia backed out of a contract to home and home a few years ago that, that, that left FSU with a less than desirable home schedule. I forget who replaced them, but Jacksonville state, I believe was the fill in one. Whatever it was, it was not ideal. Correct. You know, and, and, and Florida state, it's not that they struggle to sell tickets, but with the, with the, with the way the fan base is displaced, you need some marquee games on. So that was not optimal. This would be an opportunity to come back, play West Virginia, beat the Mountaineers, and collect a, at least a north of $5 million check, maybe $6 million. So backing up, we'll play Ole Miss game number one in 2016. You sure about that? I'm thinking. Okay. 17, you play Alabama and Atlanta, either in 18 or 19, rumored, rumored, not confirmed, You'll be in Jacksonville, most likely an ACC opponent. In other words, you'll move one of your conference games uh, to Jacksonville in either 18 or 19, and then you'll play West Virginia in 20. So theoretically, five years going forward, four of those five, 
you will open with the equivalent of a kickoff type game against a, a, a nationally rated or at least recognized opponent. And, and my point for the backdrop is remember when Jimbo became the head coach, the, the procedure was under the theory of whoever wrote the book had said, you make your most improvement between game one and game two. So therefore you should schedule a lesser opponent in game one and get your kids out there right. and get them ready. Yeah, that pendulum is, is, is well. And, and why is the pendulum shifted? Because now if you're playing a marquee game in game one, then you play your bowl game, win or lose. You take a week or so off. You get into winter workouts. You get into spring ball. You get into summer workouts. You get into seven-on-seven, and you get into fall camp. And that entire seven- or eight-month period, you're totally focused on one thing. You're opening against a nationally rated or ranked opponent, not someone that you want to get your starters in and make improvement from game one to game two. And it has completely changed. Jimbo will be the first the, to tell the, you. The college football playoff has changed that, too, because you, you could lose that first game against a respected opponent and come exactly. back. And, and it's amazing how over just in the last four or five or six years, that 40- or 50-year model of how you were supposed to schedule has been completely taken away and changed. I personally love it. I, I, I can only imagine that I'm a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, and, and I know I'm either going to play uh, Charleston Southern to kick off the season or I'm going to play Ole Miss or I'm going to play Alabama. Right. And I can just assure you my thought process is not going to waver as much in March and in May and in July if I know I'm playing Alabama or Ole Miss, I'm going to stay focused even in my youthfulness. Well, and Jimbo had to get his a few recruiting classes in before he was willing to play some of these games. Let me add an asterisk to what I said about that money for FSU West Virginia. Nobody's floated figures, and in thinking it through, FSU West Virginia is not FSU Alabama, so I don't know where those numbers would be. They'll be healthy. Uh, I certainly wouldn't think they'd be less. I wouldn't either, but, but I'm just suggesting but. that FSU West Virginia is not the same caliber game as FSU Alabama. But anyway, point is, that game is apparently going to happen, which has led to other questions, most notably that if it does happen, that would be Labor Day weekend. I don't know if that's a Saturday or Monday game they're talking about. And two weeks later is when FSU is scheduled to play at Boise State in 2020. So there has been rumors forever that FSU is going to drop that series. When we have talked to people... When Monk Bonasort came on this show, he said they have no intention to drop it. Now, separate the fact that Boise, if they got scooped up by the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or something changed from a conference standpoint, might need to drop the series. I'm that not, would be because Boise has to change. Right. I'm not aware that – and I guess the – I don't know if the thought – I guess the thought process is FSU has nothing to gain by playing Boise because they're not a Power 5 team, so why play them? But it is one of the last – home and homes matter of fact i think it is the only home and home non-conference opponent that i'm aware of outside of florida that's on a future schedule for fsu because it's getting more and more difficult to schedule a home and home and see i i think that the boise game when it was originally scheduled however many years ago uh was viewed from the standpoint that boise had it was on a little bit of a roll and you know you want to be careful You, you you just can't play 12 ranked high quality opponents every year there's got to be one or two in there where you can catch your breath and, and, and rest some people potentially, et cetera, et cetera. However, I still think it's a great series. We've never been to Boise. It's it's completely out of the realm of our comfort level in terms of new experiences and places. And to be selfish, they haven't been that good of late. Compared to what their, compared rep- to what their reputation I also was. think it falls in line with what Bobby did when you look at when you played, kind of the take play anybody, anywhere, anytime. I mean, in the 90s, FSU played a game at Southern Cal a few years ago. FSU was at Oklahoma. Florida State's gone to LSU and Ohio State, Nebraska, and all those places. Not that Boise State's at that level, but why not go do it and, and put the brand over there? So we don't know the answer to, to what will play out with that, but let's walk through a, a few things here. So 2017, the non-conference for FSU is Alabama and Atlanta. Uh, there's an FBS game scheduled for the week after, September 9th. There is uh, an FCS opponent for the week before Florida, and then there's the game at Florida. That's a 2017 non-conference. 2018, FSU in, in November plays at Notre Dame, November 10th, and Florida at home, November 24th. 
Uh, there's an FCS opponent in between on November 17th, and they're still trying to secure a mid-level FBS opponent to round out 2018 non-conference. So you go to 2019, uh, which maybe makes Jacksonville the play for 2019. You've got Boise State at home at Florida, and I don't think there's anything else on the books. Now, this is the year where there's been talk, and Rick Catlett is the one who said, and Rick Catlett runs the Gator Bowl Association, or whatever it's named now because we keep changing corporate sponsors, but that's forever what I'm going to call it. It was earlier this year that he said Florida State is going to open the season in Jacksonville in 2018 or 2019. And then so when you look at the schedule, and then somebody else separately reported that FSU had had opened the door to moving a home Home conference conference game. game. So if you look at the 2019 home conference schedule, it's Louisville, NC State, Miami, and Syracuse. Well, you know FSU is not moving the Miami game. I don't think you're moving Louisville. I don't think you're moving Louisville. But I sure wouldn't be opposed to moving Syracuse. To me, at a Syracuse and NC State, if that's what it is, and we've talked about this previously a few months ago, I think Syracuse is the move, and I think that's a Labor Day Monday night game, and you've got the whole Eastern Seaboard, Syracuse to to yeah. Florida. And I don't know how and, this. And, and by the way, that's a year where you can have two bye weeks. I was fixing to say, so one of those years set, in there, you get that extra it weekend. It may be both, but you can get the extra weekend and not have to worry about the five day deal. Yep. Anyway, it's a lot of conjecture. Uh, we need to do some digging because it's been a while, at least for me personally, that I've pried around to see, but. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the way this uh, shakes out. By the way, in 2021, Florida State plays Notre Dame here, and that is on Labor Day. So, and that's about as far out as FSU. Which becomes the equivalent of a kickoff type atmosphere. I, uh, you know, we, one thing we haven't talked about, and maybe we can do this uh, in the next segment, is the thought that the the league is going to push for nine conference games which was not announced last week at the ACC kickoff. John Swafford did come out and say he's in favor of it. There's a big theory that that ESPN would like it because it's more inventory. You know, when when I you looking at what I just laid out, there's not room for FSU in the next several years to do it. I'll hold the thought, but we'll talk about it in the last because that 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 I I got uh, a rationale. Uh, 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 I got uh, a rationale. Uh, 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 uh. We'll have to come back quickly because at Keith's age, that thought may leave him before we continue on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Final segment, Keith Jones. Did that thought dissipate or do you still have it on the tip of your tongue? I have it. It may not be well thought out, but I have it. When you go to nine games is when you bring Notre Dame in. Because Notre Dame's playing five and sometimes six, depending on how it works out, games. So, for example, in 19 and 20, or 20 and 21, whatever you were talking about, if you go to nine league games and Notre Dame is part of the league, you've not adjusted Florida State schedule at all. And remember the impetus. You you reminded me of this. Going to nine games in the league is also driven by the fact that, that North Carolina State only plays Duke every 11 years or, or whatever it whatever is. it works out to be. And Florida State only plays Georgia Tech two out of every 13 years. And that would allow you to to get back to playing the rest of the league on a more consistent basis. Same thing, same argument I, for the 20 games for the basketball. I had the same, and we didn't even talk about that. We can, and we'll, that's a, we'll save that for another that's show. A, that's a done deal that will happen in 2019. And I won't be surprised if the nine-game football mandatory schedule also becomes effective 2019 but we don't know that i said we'd push it off but if you add conference games which they have in basketball think inventory and acc network you just got another carolina game another duke game another syracuse game another noted you just got a lot more programming for uh other plus tom lang pointed out which i think and we've talked about it a little bit with with espen controlling both networks even if you didn't go to nine games or if you if you wanted to ha- make one of those a ninth quote-unquote game you could enter into some agreement with the SEC and do some crossover games so that you would well, be they, picking up stuff. They talked a few years ago about creating an SEC-ACC football challenge like the ACC Big Ten basketball. And the reason that it couldn't get worked out is you have a handful of schools that already play SEC-SEC, i.e. Florida State was going to say, and Clemson, we're going to keep playing Florida and South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia. And, oh, yeah, we'll play Alabama and Auburn every year, too. So that's why, and they, and they couldn't get the dates to line up. And what but I, I do think with the programming, 
heck, when you think about the NCAA championship game and Final Four where you've got the neutral announcers, the home team announcers, the road team, you could have the SEC network broadcast of this game and the ACC network broadcast of the game and you just put Paul Feinbaum right in the middle. Well, you know, you you and I did that for several years with Sun Sports before we did oh, the combined I wish, clues. I wish we I'd had tape of you and Nat Moore in the booth for all those years. I wish I'd have been in the booth. I only heard stories about it. It was fun. It was. It's a catch. It was incomplete. The sky is blue. The sky is black. I mean, those were great, great days. I want to go back to the Notre Dame point. I had the same thought when I first heard that Commissioner Swafford was talking about expanding to nine games, that it would be easier to accommodate Notre Dame's schedule in league play. What makes it tougher for Notre Dame is they have this resistance. I mean, getting them to five games was a struggle. And obviously, if you join a conference, you're all in. But I guess what I'm saying is, if I'm Notre Dame, I feel like I'd rather play eight conference games than nine because then I could still play Stanford or USC Michigan. or Michigan, Navy. But at some point, you know, if they come all in, they're going to have to cut the court on that. And, and they can, they can one get in line with like the rest of us. One other point history-wise, remember, it, it didn't come to a vote vote. But the last time the issue of moving from eight to nine games, conference schedule football, quote-unquote, was approved. That got changed because the announcement of Notre Dame coming in as a partial member excluding football, that kind of got pushed on the back burner. So at least at some point in the ACC's history, there has been a agreement to move to nine games. Right, right. Well, and it made scheduling because Florida State and, and other schools had to – they were going one direction, they changed to go another direction, and then they had to change back based on it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. The Notre Dame TV deal goes through 2025 – so if you talk about – with NBC I'm talking about. So if you talk about Notre Dame entering the league before then, ESPN would have to go buy back some rights there. It's $15 million. I know. That's it, a lot of money to some people, but that ain't a lot of money to Aspen. Right. But so that would – but they'd have – just like they're having to buy the Raycom inventory to get Notre Dame, they'd have to do that. By the way, Notre Dame is getting a full share – they don't get a full share of the, the television contracts for the over-the-air stuff that you've been seeing. They get 20% of that number, which is why when you see reports like FSU and Clemson are getting $27, 28000000 million, whatever it is, in terms of their distribution, and Notre Dame got six. That's the, But in terms of the ACC network, network, because that's primarily going to be Olympic sports and then select football and basketball games, Notre Dame is getting a full share of that. And before you uh, – I know a lot of people who hate the fact that Notre Dame gets that unfair treatment. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's the reason the Big 12 is going to implode because Texas is in an unfair situation. There wouldn't be an ACC network without Notre Dame, period, end of sentence. And when Notre Dame came in to the point they are now playing five games a year, that added another two or three million per school per year because over the course of two seasons, ESPN gets the rights to five Notre Dame games when they're playing on the road against the ACC team. So there you go. So that's the way it works. All right. I think we've done enough damage. We have. Uh, Set Keith straight. I pulled out his calendar and I I erased it. I took the white out and I crossed out October fifth. And on October twenty ninth, I you, wrote FSU but you wrote Clemson it in purple ink. I, purple I would not ink. write in purple or orange if we're talking. You wrote about it in purple no. ink. October twenty ninth. I also will be happy to send you a schedule. I'll put it in the mail later today. It should arrive in about three days, so you can have a home football schedule for FSU. A magnet I can put on the refrigerator? Actually, I'll give, I'll give you the full schedule. The road a games magnet too. I can put on the refrigerator? It may be. Okay. It may be. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're done. We'll do this again next week. Hey,